In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Lord Jesus, we come into your presence in this time of meditation, this time of prayer with you. And we can look at the first reading of this Sunday's Mass. It tells the story of the prophet Elijah helping a widow from Zarephath. In those days, Elijah the prophet went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the entrance of the city, a widow was gathering sticks there. He called out to her, Please bring me a small cupful of water to drink. She left to get it, and he called out after her, Please bring me along a bit of bread. She answered, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. There is only a handful of flour in my jar and a little oil in my jug. Just now I was collecting a couple of sticks to go in and prepare something for myself and my son. When we have eaten it, we shall die. The Holy Spirit paints a picture here of a certain desperation. The land is going through a terrible drought. And as the Lord Jesus says, this widow is the only one chosen by God to be helped by Elijah the prophet. And yet before this help arrives, we get a clear idea of of how desperate her situation is. She has very few resources left. She has very little hope for the future. She thinks that she's got just enough to make one last meal and then the end will come. And in the midst of this, Elijah tells her not to be afraid. Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go and do as you propose, but first make me a little cake and bring it to me. Then you can prepare something for yourself and your son. For the Lord, the God of Israel, says, The jar of flour shall not go empty, nor the jug of oil run dry, until the day when the Lord sends rain upon the earth. She left and did as Elijah had said. She was able to eat for a year, and he and her son as well. The jar of flour did not go empty, nor the jug of oil run dry, as the Lord had foretold through Elijah. We put ourselves in the shoes of this widow, and we could see that she would be naturally afraid of following Elijah's orders, naturally afraid of giving the very last provisions that she had for her son and for herself. It would seem like certain death, (laughs) speeding up the end of a very dire situation already. And yet she trusts Elijah. She hears these words and this promise, Do not be afraid. The jar of flour shall not go empty, nor the jug of oil run dry until the day when the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And so in spite of her misgivings, in spite of that natural instinct for self-preservation, to control what she can, to do all that she can in her power, She gives up and she gives in. 
she does what Elijah says. She gives the last that she has to live on to follow his instructions. And isn't this us many times spiritually? We can be tired. We can fall into a bit of self-pity. We can be frustrated. And we can get to the point, spiritually, morally, where we think, I can't do anymore. I can't give anymore. I don't have any more resources. And perhaps God whispers in our soul what Elijah whispered to this widow. Do not be afraid. The jar of flour shall not go empty, nor the jug of oil run dry. Keep giving. Keep being faithful to your vocation. Keep doing all you can to live as a Christian in this world. When we think we can't do anymore, we can't give anymore, perhaps God is saying, yes, you can. Just do it. And the strength will come from me. The energy will come from me. You'll see what it's like to run on hope and to run on faith and not to run on self-reliance. We've considered recently the Feast of All Saints that we're all called to sanctity. And what does that mean? It means in principle that when we die, the church could examine our life and discover that we lived heroic virtue, that we lived the virtues heroically. And that adjective, that designation heroic, doesn't mean that we will be famous players on the world stage or do something that affects history, heroic in that classical sense, the great hero. But it does mean that we will have done things that were very difficult for us to do. And that nevertheless, relying on God's grace, being open to pushing ourselves, being open to self-forgetfulness and self-sacrifice, we did those things. We did things that subjectively speaking at least for us, were heroic, went beyond our natural resources, beyond our natural talents, because we heroically trusted God, let him work in us. So in our call to sanctity, which is in our ordinary life as it is, God is going to give us opportunities to be heroic. He's going to give us difficult situations, situations where we feel like giving up, we feel like being unfaithful, we feel like running away, we feel like closing in on ourselves. And yet he'll ask us to keep going, to keep giving. This will happen in our family life, perhaps. It may happen in our friendships, in our prayer life, in fidelity to our vocation, in your professional life, whatever it may be, in your work or your studies. There will be opportunities where we feel like this, this widow, that there's nothing left to do except make a last meal and then die, right? <laughs> Wait for death. And at those times, God might be whispering to us, keep going, keep walking, keep giving, keep trusting. This is an opportunity to be heroic. You think you can't do more but I think you can. My father had a great sense of humor. And one of the things you could do to put him into a bad mood or to provoke his anger, even though it was a feigned anger, would be to tell him, okay, dad, have a nice day. 
Right? He hated that phrase. Have a nice day. I think I've inherited some of his personality, and I have a similar aversion to the phrase, okay, be safe. It's like, what am I here for? What am I living this life for? To have a nice day? To be safe? Okay, have a nice day. Be safe. Is that why God gave me a will and a mind and a body? To be comfortable? To be secure? Admaiora natusum, the Romans would say, encouraging themselves to greatness, to a true life. I've been born for greater things. Admaiora natusum, I've been born for greatness. And greatness in God's eyes can be a very hidden greatness. It's the greatness of accepting our life as it is. It's the greatness of making love and trust in God our ideals, developing all those virtues that we need to live love and trust in God, patience and fortitude, temperance and practical wisdom. God did not make us for mediocrity. He didn't make us to have a nice day and to be safe. He made us to love and to be, <laughs> to be truly great. Do not be afraid. Go and do as you propose. But first make me a little cake and bring it to me. Elijah, the Holy Spirit through Elijah, asking this lady to give everything, to risk her life in charity, to risk her life in faith. And this is the way, Lord Jesus, that you challenge us to live. This is something that comes across very clearly in our Lord's preaching. This risking of life, this willingness to sacrifice, this daring is not settling for security or safety. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant also be. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Pope Benedict paraphrases this passage as the way of the grain. To follow our Lord Jesus is to follow the way of the grain. The way of a grain that falls to the ground and dies. And therefore, because it's willing to die, because it's willing to give everything, bears much fruit, finds this new life. Those who love their life lose it. Those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And this way of the grain, Lord, is the way that you live first. You are the way and the truth and the life. And so this example of being a grain of wheat that falls to the ground and dies and therefore bears much fruit because of its willingness to die a very humble death is a way, Jesus, that you live first. We see our Lord's passion. We see our redemption in the passion. And we see something that's messy and that's humble and that's difficult to do. Our Lord does it, in a certain sense, even reluctantly. And we see something that takes a tremendous amount of trust in God. The way of the green is humble. Our Lord, when he starts our redemption, Holy Thursday, takes off his tunic, that sign of his position in, in society, that sign of his societal dignity, and puts on that towel. He wraps it around his waist. 
taking the position and the appearance of a slave and then doing a slave's service, washing the feet of his apostles, of his followers. And then even further, he lets himself be publicly judged guilty and publicly executed for a crime that he did not commit. And in his heart, of course, he's doing it for our crimes, for our sins. The way of the grain is humble. The way of the grain is difficult. Our Lord does it willingly, but it's a willingness that he has to win. There's moments of reluctance. That tremendous prayer, that wrestling with the plan in the agony in the garden. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. It's a difficult plan. It's a difficult way. He has to pray for the will to do it. A passage that's not quoted too much, I think, because it's so striking, perhaps, and easy to misunderstand. But nevertheless, it's it's very expressive of our Lord's humanity, of this way of the grain. How messy it is, how difficult it is. Is Hebrews chapter 5. Every high priest chosen from among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is subject to weakness. And because of this, he must offer sacrifice for his own sins as well as for those of the people. So Hebrews here is comparing and contrasting that human priesthood with the priesthood of Christ. And it goes on to talk about Christ as priest, the sacrifice of Christ. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And it seems here in the letter to the Hebrews that this happened not just once. It wasn't just in the agony of the garden. It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. And so it seems like, it's not clear, but it's implied that this happened more than once in the days of his flesh. That it was a kind of an ongoing struggle for our Lord in his prayer. Praying with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And Hebrew says, he was heard. Right? He was saved from death in the resurrection and and saved from death in his glorification, the ascension. But he died. He followed the way of the green. He was saved from death, going through death. The way of the green is humble. Our Lord humbles himself, makes himself a servant, makes himself appear and feel guilty for our sins, became sin for our sake, Scripture says. The way of the cross is difficult. Our Lord has to wrestle with the plan and confirm his will. And the way of the cross is trusting the last words of our Lord in the cross are words of trust. Into your hands I commend my spirit. Into your hands I trust my spirit. I trust you with my very self. I give up my very self. My freedom, my awareness, my consciousness, all that I'm feeling, all that I experience, all that I think. Into your hands I commend my spirit, my life. This is the way of the grain. This is what this widow does when she trusts 
the prophet Elijah and giving the last that she has, sharing the last that she has with him, hoping in his promise. The jar of flour shall not go empty, nor the jug of oil run dry. Lord Jesus, reading those words, we can't help but also think of the Eucharist. In a certain sense, these words are prophetic words fulfilled in the Eucharist. <clears throat> the jar of flour do not go empty, nor the jug of oil run dry. And Lord, you keep feeding us in the Eucharist. And in the Eucharist, we find sufficient strength for our life, sufficient strength to start over, sufficient strength and energy to keep going. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Will never be hungry. Will never be thirsty. That the oil and the flour will not run out. If we keep going to the Eucharist, when we're feeling spiritually depleted, morally depleted, if we humble ourselves and go to the Mass and Communion, spiritually hungry and spiritually thirsty, we're going to find the nourishment that we need. And it lasts forever. <laughs> it lasts eternally. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. So when we find ourselves worn out, when we find ourselves frustrated, when we find ourselves without hope, let's go to the Mass. Let's go to communion. Making a good confession first, if necessary. Starting over, placing our hope once again in what Jesus has done for us, in Jesus' words. The second reading of today's Mass reminds us that Christ's sacrifice on the cross is sufficient to make up for the sins of the world, sufficient to redeem the world from sin. Christ did not enter into a sanctuary made by hands, a copy of the true one, but heaven itself, that he might now appear before God on our behalf. The sacrifice of our Lord on the cross is an eternal appeal to God the Father for mercy. And it happens once that one sacrifice happened on Good Friday, but as we know in our faith, it's perpetuated, it's made present again in every Mass. Not that he might offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters each year into the sanctuary with blood that is not his own. If that were so, he would have to suffer repeatedly from the foundation of the world. But now, once for all, he has appeared at the end of the ages to take away sin by his sacrifice. Once for all, he has appeared at the end of the ages to take away sin by his sacrifice. This means something very important for us in our time and in all times. The sacrifice of our Lord on the cross is sufficient to conquer the evil in the world. The sacrifice of our Lord in the cross, which is also present in the Mass, is enough. The jar of flour shall not go empty, nor the jug of oil run dry until the day when the Lord sends rain upon the earth. The Mass, making present our Lord's redemption of the world, His conquering of sin on the cross, sends rain upon the earth. It keeps the rain of God's mercy pouring down upon us. 
And Lord, we need this. We need this faith in the power of your redemptive sacrifice. We need it because we can be overwhelmed by sin. We can be overwhelmed by the state of the world, the darkness of consciences, the great confusion of people in terms of their own personal identity or their gender, the great moral confusion we see in the world, the lack of love for God, the lack of awareness that God exists, lack of respect for the human person and people's own selves or in, or in their neighbors. Like all that evil, the evil we see in ourselves, our own inability to love, our own, our own lack of compassion, our own critical spirit, right? our own vices that are self-destructive. Jesus' sacrifice is enough to make up for all that, to forgive all that, to redeem all that, to help us overcome it if we respond to his grace. Jesus' sacrifice is enough to make up for all the evil, all the sins in the world. We pray in the third Eucharistic prayer, May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Lord, your sacrifice in the Mass, which is the sacrifice in the cross, is sufficient to save the whole world, to forgive the whole world. So we go to the Mass with this desire to be nourished in communion, and we go to the Mass with this great hope in God's victory over evil, over the evil we see around us, in society, in our friends, family, in the culture, and perhaps more importantly, Lord, the evil that I do and the evil I see in myself. Your sacrifice is enough to overcome that, to make up for it, to forgive it. In the Gospel of the Mass, this Sunday, we see another widow, the famous widow of the widow's might, who puts in those two small coins, which were all that she had to live on, this great radical generosity, radical abandonment to God. But before that, we have Jesus criticizing the scribes. In the course of his teaching, Jesus said to the crowds, Beware the scribes who like to go around in long robes and accept greetings in the marketplaces, seats of honor in the synagogues, places of honor at banquets. They devour the houses of widows and as a pretext recite lengthy prayers. They will receive a very severe condemnation. Jesus warns us here of the danger of Pharisaism, the danger of self-righteousness. And that's a danger that is very real and very alive. And perhaps it gets worse as, as the things around us get worse. As Christians, we might think that we're exempt from it. And I know this is kind of a trick. We can say this about a lot of things. But I think it's true in this case that if we think we're exempt from falling into self-righteousness, it's a sign that we've already partially fallen into it. It's a sign that we think we're okay in a way that we're not. And where does this pharisaical self-righteous attitude come from? It comes in part from our desire to be spiritually secure. It comes from our discomfort and our unwillingness with uncertainty in the spiritual life, in the moral life. We don't like to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as St. Paul puts it very clearly, with that humility of distrusting ourselves, distrusting 
our own goodness. And so in that desire for security, in that rejection of spiritual uncertainty, we try to control our goodness. We try to control our salvation. And so we put it in behaviors that we can point to and in attitudes that we know we already have. And so we think, we look at ourselves and we think, well, I'm okay. I do this, I do that, I think this way, I think that way, I have the right opinions, I read the right blogs, I belong to the right parish, I listen to the right Catholic influencers, etc., etc. In so many ways, even if it's not explicit, interiorly we can take that attitude of the scribe and the Pharisee, this Pharisee in Jesus' parable who, who looks at others and says, I'm not like other men. I'm not, I'm not like these other men. Right? I do this and I do that and I do this other thing. And I'm okay before God. And this is to rely on ourselves in a way that excludes redemption, excludes salvation. And it's a sneaky way because we can do it with holy things. I pray this much. I go to Mass this much. I don't sin in this way or that way that these other people are sinning. I'm not confused like they are. All those are good things. But they're things that we attribute to our own goodness and our own will to do them. Things that we can control. And this is the opposite logic of the way of the grain. This is the opposite experience of what our Lord experienced in His Passion. It's the opposite logic of giving ourselves entirely, detached from our own control, humbled, at the limit of our strength, not sure if we can do it. It's the opposite logic of working out our salvation with fear and trembling, unsure of ourselves, not even wanting to do it at times because it runs against the green so much, saying, not my will but yours be done. And yet doing it anyway, a radical trust, a radical generosity, a radical gift, a radical humility, True righteousness is the way of the green. It's the way of Jesus that's humble, that's difficult and even reluctant, and that's trusting, heroic trust in God. Lord, keep us from Pharisaism, which as things get more and more confusing around us and perhaps even within us, it's a stronger and stronger temptation to say, no, I'm okay, right? I'm in the saved camp. (laughs) I'm not like these other men who have lost these moral distinctions and who don't pray, who don't recognize God. I'm okay. No, the way of the green. Falling, rotting, dying, and yet giving ourselves and finding in that gift that we receive, that we receive new life the way of the widow with Elijah, the way of the widow with her widow's might, winning Jesus' favor, winning Jesus' grace because of her willingness to humbly give everything that she has. And this is the way of joy. This is the way of new life. This is the way to receive, to give radically like these two widows is in turn to receive from God. St. Peter Chrysologus points out these paradoxes. If you want God to know that you are hungry, know that another is hungry. If you hope for mercy, show mercy. 
If you look for kindness, show kindness. If you want to receive, give. If you ask yourself what you deny to others, your asking is a mockery. If you want to receive, give. St. Francis of Assisi strikes that similar note in his famous prayer. For it is in giving that one receives. It is in self-forgetting that one finds. It is in pardoning that one is pardoned. It is in dying that one is raised to eternal life. Lord, help us to learn these lessons. When we give it all, we'll be taken care of. When we're humble, we'll bear fruit. When we radically trust to the point of thinking that we might die, we'll enter into eternal life. We go to Our Lady. We ask her for the courage, the trust, the generosity, the big heart to follow the way of the grain. Not to settle for a fake holiness, a holiness that we control, that we're constantly setting conditions or limits to. But to go for it, to go for the gold, to go for the way of the grain. And it's difficult, but our Lord is there and he'll help us He'll help us to do it. Our Lady, our Mother, Queen of all saints, you who followed our Lord on the literal way of the grain at the foot of the cross, pray for us, help us like you to accompany our Lord there. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.